Hello everyone, I'm Matthew Delvedova and this is The Delhi Podcast. The show features people I find interesting in the world of sports and entertainment, health and fitness, business and startups. We'll discuss a wide range of topics including things like self-improvement and growth, personal journeys, pivotal career moments and much more. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Remember, if you enjoy this content, be sure to subscribe to the Daily Podcast on Apple or wherever else you listen to your podcast. All right, let's get started. All right, welcome to the Daily Podcast. Very special guest today, Josh Clementi from Levels. Uh, thanks for coming on. Absolutely excited. Yeah. Now, uh, Josh works at Levels, uh, a company. I'm a user of, got my patch on right here. All right, love uh, it. And I uh, love it so much, uh, decided to invest. Can you tell us a little bit about Levels? Yeah, Levels was initially uh, basically developed to answer the question of what should I eat for lunch? And uh, it, it came to the point where I sort of in my personal life realized that you kind of need a PhD to answer that question effectively today. And I, I basically uh, went down the path of trying to, to get one on my own after I discovered I had uh, essentially prediabetes without knowing it. And I figured that out by, by putting on a CGM for the first time. Uh, and so what came of that is, is now the concept that you should have real-time information from your body that guides your decisions uh, in the moment, right? You should, it should be easier to make choices that are influenced by uh, data from your body and uh, a history of information rather than uh, averages or information from the internet or something that worked for someone else. And so uh, that, that thing, you know, the patch you've got on your arm there, that's the continuous glucose monitoring system we use uh, along with the analytics platform we're building to help you, uh, people sort of make better choices in the moment. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And can you just explain some of the basics so people understand um, what you're monitoring? Like what, what is glucose? Why is it important? Totally. Um, yeah. So <laughs> over the past two-ish years, you know, I've, I've kind of uh, learned all of this stuff myself. And it's not, uh, you know, metabolic health is not something that we think about in modern society right now, the way that we think of physical fitness or mental fitness. We don't have this concept of metabolic fitness yet. And so Levels is establishing that concept. And ultimately what metabolism is, it's uh, the processes that your cells uh, perform to take food and environmental factors and turn them into energy. So every cell in your body needs energy. And the two primary fuel sources there are glucose and fat. Uh, glucose is, is just another word for sugar. Uh, it's a type of sugar that our bodies, our cells can metabolize. They can, they can directly uh, translate into ATP for energy. And uh, so what you're measuring is actually the molecule, glucose, the primary energy molecule in the human body. And uh, the technology has been developed over the course of decades to essentially, uh, it was developed to help people with diabetes manage their condition. So people with diabetes, they experience a breakdown of the feedback loop between uh, glucose and insulin, which helps you um, use that glucose effectively. And when that starts to break down, glucose levels start to rise. And there are a lot of um, negative complications that come with that. So the technology was developed uh, for that use case. But since all of us, no matter where we are on the metabolic fitness spectrum, have glucose as our primary energy molecule, it's super valuable for all of us to pay attention to uh, how our decisions are affecting those glucose um, levels in our bodies. Because again, uh, dysfunction sets in over long periods of time. And in fact, the majority of um, the, the use case for, for glucose control is actually uh, more oriented around the qualitative experience that we have day to day. Um, it's, it's certainly a powerful tool for the management of diabetes, but it's 
Uh, it's also equally useful for someone who's trying to optimize fuel for performance or who wants to lose a little bit of weight or who wants to clear up sort of a mental cloudiness and post-lunch fog that we all experience at work and that, you know, in my past life uh, sort of triggered this entire adventure for me. And so uh, the qualitative experience of glucose, uh, lack or lack of glucose control and the cascade of hormones that it produces is really why levels exist. It's helping people take control of their day-to-day -day experience and, and also optimize sort of that quantitative risk of long-term illness. Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting because when you think of, um, or I know when I first thought of, you know, glucose or a monitor, uh, it's probably associated with diabetes or, um, you know, health problems rather than optimizing for performance. And I think that's something that really stood out for me as an athlete trying to always learn more about my body. And I think something that's really interesting is just that real time feedback um, right. to, to get, um, you know, pretty much immediately what, what a food is doing to you um, after you eat it. Um, how important is it um, to users, I guess, to, to get that real time feedback in, in comparison to when you go to the doctor to get some blood work done. And I'm amazed that, like that screenshot or that snapshot in time of uh, your glucose at a doctor's appointment, does that, it really doesn't mean anything after using the app, right? Well, I, I love, <laughs> I love kind of mapping out this space because it really excites me actually for the future because, you know, historically technology has, um, you know, evolved sort of from academic uses, right? The way that most technologies develop is they're used in a laboratory somewhere and then eventually someone thinks of a way to get it to a market and then it slowly evolves from there. Um, in, in medicine, um, so we've had a few things going on lately. Since the 80s, we've seen a massive increase in the rate of diabetes in every developed nation around the world. And so in the United States right now, we have 90 million people that are pre-diabetic and of them, 90% don't know they have it. Uh, 35 million people have type 2 diabetes, which is the preventable type of diabetes. And, uh, you know, diabetes is the leading cause of blindness. It's the leading cause of foot amputations. It's the leading cause of uh, mortality. It's, well, it's connected to the leading causes of mortality. So, you know, we have all this breakdown that is, um, is kind of hard to, to explain because we have a medical system that is improving and technology is getting better. And so it's, there's this strange juxtaposition where you're thinking, like, how can these metabolic outcomes or these, uh, you know, these mortality outcomes be getting worse? when our medical technology is getting better. And I think a lot of it is uh, essentially just precedent. Um, so we've had these tests like fasting plasma glucose or A1C, which maybe uh, you know, anyone who's listening to this might have had those tests or seen them on their, on their blood panels. And it's a single measurement, which attempts to just show you, okay, this is where your glucose level was today. Uh, when you came into the doctor's office. And usually you're told before getting blood work to fast. So don't, don't eat anything before you go into the doctor's office and, and come in uh, first thing in the morning. And so what's that, what's, what that's doing is it's putting you in um, an abnormal circumstance. Most people don't fast. They don't uh, go to their first meeting of the day without eating anything. They typically will grab breakfast, right? And so it's automatically not your normal condition. And then you're getting a single point measurement. So you're getting a, a little blood sample and that goes away and then you know the blood sample results come back and the doctor looks at them two weeks later and then they call you up or they give you your your piece of paper that has them on there and as long as you're inside a bucket like you're inside this range they don't say anything about it it's just like yep totally uh totally in the range so nothing to see here uh now you go home and you sit down for lunch and you're starving because you haven't eaten all day 
and you consume a gigantic lunch that is just, or maybe you grab fast food on the way home and, and you eat it because, you know, I skipped a meal, so I, I'm going to treat myself. Well, uh, the way that your metabolism works is it's a dynamic system. It responds to what the inputs, right? You put in a bunch of food and it has to, that, that's how you, you, you know, sort of, it's what you break down into energy. And none of the quality of your metabolic function is captured by that single point measurement. And you're taking one measurement per year on average and extrapolating that to cover all of your metabolic health in combination. It's like this is, this point measurement represents how healthy you are. Uh, so what you see with continuous glucose monitoring is a, is a super high resolution full-time data stream. It's like you're wearing it, it's streaming to your phone essentially, and you can look at while you're sleeping, while you're exercising, exactly how you're responding to the meal you ate 10 minutes ago. Um, you, can, you can see in real time the dynamic system that is your metabolism, and you realize a point measurement is essentially meaningless. It's one dot on this continuous stream. And you know I, I totally understand why the medical system built around this, uh, this technology. It's what was available. And it's easy to run along with all the other tests that are interesting. But uh, now we've seen this amazing microelectronics revolution, which has allowed for the miniaturization and um, you know, the, the technology to become much more cost effective, such that people with diabetes can get uh, full-time awareness of their glucose, which is fascinating. And now we're reaching the point where that technology can now be um, expanded even from the diabetes use case to general wellness and performance. So that's where we are right now. We are on the cusp of this next generation of turning this technology from a medical device into a wearable device. And you know, looking at the trends in, in metabolic dysfunction across the world, it's very promising because um, by by changing the stigma, by by you know, sort of flipping the script from this this is a medical device for sick people, it's it's not. It's this is for anyone who cares about knowing more about themselves, right? Anyone who seeks health, who wants to optimize their choices. And, and so it's um, going from the current wearable technology that we have like heart rate and step counters to measuring molecules in the body is a fascinating and exciting thing. And we're gonna see like a whole host of new analytes, not just glucose, but many others to follow. Uh, so I, I'm really excited for it. That's why we're where we are. But uh, to your point, yeah, the, the point measurements, no, no, no system can be characterized by a single point, especially one that is as dynamic as human body. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And then can you explain how easy it is to use? And uh, one of the things I've really liked is um, you, you take a photo of your food, you put in, um, you know, avocado toast, that's what I have for breakfast every morning. Um, and it, you know, time stamps when, when you eat it. So then you can go back later, click on uh, avocado toast and see on a graph what it's, what it's done to your body. And you can compare yeah. that um, to other meals. You get a score for what foods are, are doing to your glucose. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So there's, um, you know, the, the goal, again, uh, of Levels is to help people understand the the quality of their choices, their, their daily lifestyle choices. So we're all making decisions all day long. And if we really stop and think like, what is driving this choice? What am, I'm, I'm sitting down for this meal. Why did I pick what I, what I picked? Usually, usually it's like, well, it's going to taste good. I know that I like the flavors and, and I heard at some point that it's good for you or something like that. Um, this is, this is allowing you to not only uh, take in dietary information, but also the other three factors, which are sleep, stress, and exercise. And so levels is, is building the program where, uh, with, like you said, with minimal um, sort of overhead, it should be it's very straightforward driving for a seamless user experience. You can log the choices you're making, and then the system analyzes how your blood sugar responds to that choice. 
And so it produces um, a, like a score or, or, you know, we call them various things, but some of them are on a scale of one to 10 and some of them are out of 100%. And the goal here, like with the zone score is so that you can see on a scale of one to 10, how good that meal was for you. And it's typically post-processed, meaning the, um, you know, you log the, you take a picture and then you come back a few hours later after you, your body has fully responded to it and you can see how that meal affected you. But the interesting thing about what we're building with zones is that it adapts to additional uh, activities. So let's say you, you eat a meal and then you go for a, a jog 30 minutes later or something, or you just go for a walk around the block. Um, by integrating like with Apple Health Kit and, and other wearables that you have, we can sense that there, there was some activity there and pull that into the zone as well. And so now you can start to see how making small tweaks, so adding a walk after that specific meal, that might be a Chipotle burrito, uh, adding a walk after it modifies your score actually quite quite effectively and, and makes that a much better meal for you. And so you start to string together through comparison features in these zone scores, how to effectively do the things you want to do while also maintaining metabolic control and, and influencing the, habit the habits you're, you're uh, you, know, you have in your life such that uh, you're driving towards metabolic fitness ultimately, which is, you know, the goal of metabol metabolic fitness, by the way, is to, um, you know, metabolize the, the energy sources that you, that you're bringing in, whichever those may be, you might, might choose to be vegan. You might choose to, be, to eat animal products, whatever your choices are dietarily, uh, be able to bring in those food sources, um, and metabolize that into energy with minimal byproducts, minimal excessive aging, minimal inflammation, um, all of the downstream effects of metabolic breakdown. So we're metabolic fitness would be a person who can do all of that. Uh, with, with minimal side effects, essentially, and, and living a, a healthy, wholesome life where they feel good and look good. Um, so yeah, th that's the, the system we're building is, is trying to bring in as much information as possible in real time and uh, keep, keep minimal overhead on the individual and just allow them to be able to understand specifically how good or bad that choice was for them. Yeah, no. And then can you talk a little bit about uh, the optimal range of um, glucose for, for what you, you guys want people to aim at um, versus maybe yeah. what uh, is, you know, recommended uh, by the U.S. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, man, so this one's a, a really exciting topic as well because this is an area that Levels is contributing to in real time uh, because, again, there's very little data on the, um, the healthy metabolism, right? We, we have, since these CGM devices are typically uh, used for the management of diabetes, we don't have a huge data set on non-diabetic people. So what we have is a lot of finger prick measurements. We have a lot of those point measures we talked about earlier, but we have not studied in great detail the um, sort of the pre-diabetic state or the, the non-diabetic state with, with continuous glucose monitoring. Now, uh, at Levels, we've reviewed essentially every blood sugar uh, study on record. We've looked at uh, thousands and thousands of pages of documentation of all of the, the existing information on non-diabetic non non glucose levels. And from that, we developed our, our optimal ranges, which are 70 to 110 milligrams per deciliter. Um, that compares to the American Diabetes Association, which says that uh, basically a, a non-diabetic person should have a fasting glucose below 100, and they should not exceed 140, uh, 140 milligrams per deciliter, except rarely. And so uh, by bringing our, the range down to 110, we did that very deliberately because uh, that is the lowest risk quartile. So if you look at all the data, 
it uh, basically it, it boils down to there are different buckets of risk. And depending on how your, your body responds to your meals, um, you kind of fall into these different categories. And people who have higher fasting glucose and higher uh, responses to the meals they choose by, uh, uh, you know, essentially across the board have a much higher risk of developing heart disease or diabetes long term. And um, the way the American Diabetes Association developed their range is more so an average of normal people. Now, uh, that sounds like a good concept. It's like, oh, averaging the normal people, that, that's probably a pretty safe range. But then you look at uh, the statistics in the United States. A study came out last year, I believe, or 2018 from the uh, University of North Carolina, which showed that 88% of U.S. adults are metabolically unhealthy. So only 12% of U.S. adults are metabolically healthy. Uh, if you look at the, the diabetes and prediabetes statistics, one in three people has prediabetes or diabetes in the United States. 70% of people are overweight. Um, and so you have a situation where the average is actually unhealthy and we need to start to think up aspirationally. It's not that we want to be like everyone else. We want to know which direction should I be heading? What is the optimal look like? And so that's what levels is answering. We're saying uh, staying below 110 after meals, it will require focus, effort, and repetition. You'll have to learn from, um, you know, sort of how your body responds. And there's a lot of personalization there, which we can dig into. But um, by doing so, you're going to be limiting this hormonal cascade. Uh, you'll be limiting glycation and cellular inflammation, which is caused by, by hyperglycemia, high levels of glucose. And um, you'll also learn quite a bit about how your body, you know, functions. And, and so it's a, it's a really, it's kind of a challenge, but it's ultimately something that, um, you know, like anything else, any physical fitness training or mental fitness training, it's something that uh, we should strive for. It's a goal that we should all want to achieve because this is what's most closely, you know, connected with longevity. Yeah. And obviously it's going to help you live longer if you have a healthy glucose and uh, metabolic fitness. What are some other specific benefits that people can get by staying within that healthy range? So uh, it's, it's connected with a huge host of the day-to-day the -day, um, sort of struggles that we all have. Uh, part of the reason that I initially got into this, I was working at SpaceX on life support systems. And, you know, it's a pretty strenuous job. And I, I was running a team there. And I, I just found that my day-to-day, -day, I was getting less and less, um, I guess I was feeling less and less prepared for the day, each, each day. And so my fatigue levels were kind of out of control. And they were very, you know, very spiky. I would have energy and then suddenly I'd be crashing. And uh, and my mood was kind of going along for the ride. So I was, I was really just not feeling great. And I'm also a CrossFit level two trainer. So um, working out a lot and, and kind of at that time in my life considered exercise to be really the only thing that mattered. As long as you're working out and you, you're not, you know, gaining a bunch of weight, then you're probably doing the healthy thing. Um, so the realization actually uh, of digging into the research is that uh, glucose dysfunction and metabolic breakdown is, is connected to about seven of the, ten, of the top 10 reasons for death in the United States. And uh, it's also connected with a bunch of qualitative experiences. For example, um, skin wrinkles, acne, cognitive fatigue. So uh, people describe uh, sort of mental clarity issues and memory is very strongly affected by glucose dysfunction. Um, we, you know, it's connected to Alzheimer's disease, dementia. So there are all of these um, very, very strong correlations between metabolic dysfunction, glucose regulation, and the cause, the things that people struggle with daily, uh, you know, not, not to mention, uh, I, I don't know that I mentioned weight, but weight gain is a, is a big one. So there's a hormonal um, process involved in weight gain, of course. And so uh, the, the effects of managing glucose are sort of manifold. There's uh, 
firstly, you, you are controlling, again, the primary energy molecule and the human body responds to its energy supply. Um, you know, if you, if you go on a long fast, you might notice like significant changes for the first, say, 24 hours as your body starts to adapt, realizes that it's not getting additional energy in and starts to control the, the um, it, it basically, the way to think about it is like the body starts to um, rational, ration out energy, essentially. So um, instead of maybe um, initially you might feel some mental fogginess, you might feel a little bit groggy, low fatigue or low energy levels, et cetera, as your body starts to adapt. And then you might have a breakthrough where your body realizes, well, not only do you um, sort of not have energy coming in, but you also don't have to go through the process of digestion, right? So it starts to marshal more energy to your brain, it frees up more, more of the glucose in your bloodstream for your brain. All of these things are happening daily and they're happening in response to the energy influx, so what you're consuming and how, how available it is. And it's, uh, the way this is working is through hormones. So um, essentially by, by modulating your glucose levels, consuming foods that allow for a slow and controlled release of glucose into the bloodstream, you are um, helping to also modulate all of these downstream hormones, like uh, for example, insulin, which is a, a huge one connected with, with not only weight gain, but um, insulin resistance, which is caused by too much insulin is connected to, again, the same issues like heart disease and uh, cognitive decline. And so you're, you're controlling this entire chemistry set essentially by just managing the input. Um, and, and so like that, that's kind of the, for the qualitative and wellness space, you know, helping to optimize mental and physical clarity and, uh, and long-term sort of health trajectory. But then you've got this really fascinating space of performance. And I'm sure this is one that you're very interested in, yeah. you know, being able to integrate real-time data into a, um, a nutrition protocol or a training regimen is something that we've never really had before. You know, we've had a lot of um, kinetic stuff. So like measuring speed and quickness and reaction time and all, all those types of things we've had a ton of data on, but uh, there has never been real-time, to my knowledge, real-time data being used as it relates to nutrition science and uh, nailing down dietary protocols that are helping someone get better in terms of their metabolic fitness. And so this is an area that we're profoundly interested in. And I, I'd love to dig in here if, if, if something you want to go deeper on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what things personally have you found from, from using uh, levels that, that have made the most impact? Yeah. The, the biggest thing for me is focusing on metabolic flexibility. Um, I, you know, I was a, essentially a candy addict my whole life. And until I got to the point where, I don't know, I was probably like 25 when I started to grow out of it and was like, I probably should not have M&Ms for dinner. But <laughs> before that, I mean, it would just be a free for all. And uh, so what, what that sort of ultimately leads to is um, you're influencing the cellular environment. So, so the chemical, again, we're, we're a chemistry set. Like the human body is not like this, this uh, you know, fine running mechanism. It's, it's literally um, a system of, of chemicals, which is metabolizing other chemical, chemicals, turning them into energy. And so the, the balance of, of that chemistry dictates uh, all the processes. And so if I'm just giving myself sugar full time, my body can use that, but that's what it's going to adapt to. And so uh, the concept of metabolic flexibility discussed is basically focused on the difference between a person who is really good at metabolizing one thing and a person who is a generalist and can metabolize what is available at that moment. And so we have sugar in our blood. We have sugar coming in from our food. We can store sugar as glycogen, about 400 grams of it. And we also have fat in our food, fat that is in our bloodstream as triglycerides and free fatty acids, and then fat stored on our bodies. Now, the key or the ideal is to be very metabolically flexible and be able to select from whichever fuel source is most readily available and, and in highest supply. 
but actually many, many people and myself, I, I'm one of these become adapted due to the way that we are like training ourselves over time. We're building a metabolism that, is, that can only run essentially on glucose. And the way to figure out if you're one of these people is to just don't eat anything for a while or try to shift into ketosis by eating a very high fat diet. And you may experience these symptoms like keto flu, which are essentially a withdrawal from sugar. Your body does not know how to metabolize the food that's available, the fat that is available um, in your diet. And you know, there's some really interesting anecdotes about people who are, uh, for example, very overweight and they have uh, essentially you know, hundreds of pounds of available energy in the form of, of stored body fat but they'll be laying on the couch and they'll have a respiratory quotient of one, meaning that uh, all of the energy is coming from sugar. So everything that they are, all the energy that's available is coming from sugar in their body. And uh, their bodies are working furiously to produce and, and make glucose available to them, but they can't access all the fat that's available because uh, they're just essentially metabolically inflexible. So um, to, to your question, my goal is to become as metabolically flexible as possible, to eat meals that maintain low controlled glucose, which means low controlled insulin, which means a very flexible environment to switch between fat and sugar. And so I will do fasted training where I, you know, I, I practice cardio um, after 12 to 18 hours of fasting. I'll go out and just force my body to, to metabolize the energy that I have on board, which is fat. Um, or I will eat a higher fat diet, switch between like sort of a ketogenic or paleo um, eating approach, and then back to a bit more carbohydrates with high fiber. And, and so just training myself to be very flexible and adaptable and um, sort of learning from those experiences, it, it really opens up a ton of personal flexibility too. You know, if you are not reliant on, you know, six meals a day or like getting in that snack because you know you're going to crash mid-afternoon, it, it opens up a world of, of opportunity for um, you know, experimenting with lifestyle and, and maybe you go to one meal a day, or maybe you go to a, a more ketogenic lifestyle where uh, you eat large, but very controlled release uh, meals, you know, in the mornings and, and eat less in the evening and you get better sleep. So um, that's, that's been the area of, of most interest for me is by managing my glucose, I, I can tap into the energy sources that are available. And it's made a huge difference in my daily sort of energy availability. And all that fatigue I was talking about is for the most part, you know, I still have the regular ups and downs, but it is, uh, it is so much better for me day to day. Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. And I haven't, uh, I guess, dived that deep into the experimenting yet, but some of the things that I've found, um, I, I found, found that I was in a pretty good spot. Uh, I think I was getting pro probably low nineties, um, high eighties on, on my scores, but, uh, nice with my avocado toast with uh, eggs for breakfast. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that got a good score because I've yeah. my breakfast for about probably three, four years now. Um, but something I did find was I was dipping in the afternoon um, after mm. lunch. And, you know, that's the time when during the NBA season, it's usually time for a nap. You know, you travel mm. on the road, it's a game day. Um, that's just part of the routine. But um, yeah. With, with no games going on right now, um, I've found that having almonds, like a handful of almonds, handful of walnuts is, is a mm -hmm. nice way to um, kind of get some energy, but keep, keep that glucose nice and level. Yeah, that, so those sorts of being able to get res results, like close the loop between an action and a reaction is, is just really the, the paradigm shift here. So, um, you know, something that most people who are using levels absolutely love 
is being able to test foods they've already got an opinion about. You know, for example, a lot of people are choosing to eat oatmeal for breakfast because if you Google it, it's like the most, it is the healthiest food you can eat according to, to Google. Now, I would say that <laughs> this is a non, it, it is not anecdotal. We now have dozens of people who have get, had this exact response where they will eat oatmeal for breakfast because that's the thing they're trying to do to be healthier and have a nearly diabetic blood sugar response which causes this huge blood sugar elevation, all of the, the troublesome um, you know, downstream consequences that we just talked about. But also it comes with, uh, for someone who, who does not have diabetes, you will have a, a, an insulin response, meaning your, your body will respond and bring that glucose back down, but it will do it very as rapidly as it can. So if you have a huge blood sugar spike, your body wants to get rid of that as quickly as possible. So it over responds with insulin and then you have this crash. And this is like, you know, typically happening for people who race out the door eating oatmeal on the way out. This is happening right as you're walking into your first meeting or, uh, you know, perhaps like two meetings in when you're trying to, to basically focus on the first serious work of the day. You know, it's this first fluctuation, this first crash. And then now you're starving because that crash actually signals to the body we're, at, we're running out of energy. And so now you need to go fuel up again and you'll, you'll eat a big lunch. And by 2 PM, the, the process repeats, right? You're crashing once more. And that's where, you know, for me, I was, crawling out of my meeting, looking for the coffee, uh, you know, the coffee pot and trying to get another round. And you become very, um, really you're dependent on meal timing and you're, you're dependent on external like exogenous uh, energy sources like caffeine. And um, so being able to test the foods that, that influence control, finding out that like, for example, for you, almonds might work. For me, I love cashews, but cashews actually induce like quite a bit of a blood sugar response for me. Uh, so I, I try and eat those with, you know, sort of other, other foods that are like, like almonds, I'll mix them. Um, but you know, that, that's one example, but then also just like protein bars, you know, being able to grab a snack on the run that helps keep you fueled up and, and have, uh, you know, great energy levels for a while. I've tested dozens and dozens of, of, uh, of sort of energy bars and there are profound variations in how my blood sugar responds and how I'll feel afterward. And like some of my favorites are perfect keto bars because it's literally a rock solid flat response and they taste delicious. Other ones are like quest bars. Those work really well for me, but there are a few varieties that um, have the exact same. Like if you look at the nutritional ingredients, they look exactly the same, but because I have a personal sensitivity to whatever carbohydrate they have in there, um, like tapioca fiber versus corn fiber, I'll have a, a huge blood sugar spike and crash. Um, for no benefit, right? It's like, I'd rather just pick the one that, that treats me well. And so that's um, so, so freeing to be able to find those, those products you can rely on and just grab on the go and, uh, and not have to think really deeply about. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I, I've got a, um, I've ordered some of those perfect Kiro bars. So I'm looking forward to trying. Oh, nice. I usually go with like a RX bar, but um, mm. it doesn't spike my glucose, but I have it and then basically nothing happens. And then I just start to dip down again. Uh, but what what are some of the i mean i've heard some of the amazing stories of other users how how much it's changed their life can you share maybe mm -hmm. a, a few of those that um really stick in your mind yeah um the oatmeal one is always interesting to people but i think uh sim in a similar vein is um the effect of pressed juice or uh, basically the, the higher the processing uh, of a food, the more likely it is to, to induce like a major blood sugar response. And uh, a really good example here is, you know, fruits and vegetables are very good for us. And so there's this thought that like, if something's good, a, a lot more of it is probably much better. And so we'll, we'll take, you know, 25 apples and some celery and press all of the fiber out of it and turn it into a green juice drink and, and drink that. And it's like, well, this is, this must be all of the good stuff condensed into a single cup. 
And, um, and so that's like kind of the, the juice uh, thing that many people do as a healthy approach. The, the highest blood sugar response I've recorded so far was a juice that was apple, green apple, celery, and carrot. That was yep. it. There was no additives. My wow. blood sugar was over 200 milligrams per deciliter for over an hour. And that is a diabetic blood sugar response. So um, this is, you know, again, not anecdotal. There are, there are several people actually just, just this week on Twitter, there are some examples of people sharing exactly the same. Well, they had a lower response than I did, but, you know, I think I was probably a little bit worse off in terms of metabolism at the time. Um, but yeah, people are, are discovering that a lot of the decisions they're making that are, again, based on uh, maybe common knowledge or the internet searches they're doing uh, or fads, frankly, are not benefiting them in terms of what their actual goals are. Their goals are to maintain uh, mental clarity and like energy levels consistently throughout the day. Well, you do not want to have a diabetic blood sugar response in the middle of the day. And in fact, that, that pressed juice might be treating you exactly the same as a Coca-Cola or a donut. Um, and it's not, it's not necessarily that you should avoid uh, fruit and vegetable juice. It's just, we should uh, consume it in, in the um, sort of the form that it is intended to be consumed. And I think that is a whole fruit right? Or a whole vegetable. Like we should be eating it as close to the ground as, as possible is my opinion. And so people are learning this and, I, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of them. I, I get these, these uh, results constantly and, and just think, okay, what is the processing? What was this? Um, how did this food originally form and, and how am I eating it now? Is it like, has it been, you know, de-hulled and all the fibers stripped away and ground up? Basically all the work of digestion has been done you know, and if that's the case, then it's going to very quickly absorb into the bloodstream and, and produce a spike. It's not going to be a very, uh, you know, smooth response. You know, another, another really interesting thing is just like, I touched on the statistics for prediabetes and diabetes. We've had several examples of people uh, essentially finding out that this was kind of an early warning for them. They, they, they tested this product because they're very interested. They're fascinated in optimization. But uh, what they realize is that uh, it, had they not tried this, they may have ultimately ended up uh, becoming type two diabetic because they had absolutely no insight. Their, their blood sugar levels were, were very far out of, out of normal. And uh, the things that they were doing each day are actually making it worse. And uh, in many cases, again, these are choices that they're making because they think it's healthy. Someone else told them uh, this is how they should, should eat or, uh, or again, as a sort of a fad they're following. So that, that to me is like really gratifying that people, you know, that, that was my, myself. I was again, uh, pre-diabetic or very close to it when I first started this. And, and so, being able to give people better information, put them in the driver's seat of their own health, I think is just profoundly powerful. It's the way that we will reverse metabolic outcomes in this country and start getting, getting uh, I think, globally uh, our, our metabolic health back on track. And um, yeah, so, so those are the big ones. And then uh, I think for, for me again, and, and for many people, the realization that stress is like a huge lever that you have to pull on uh, is really powerful. Uh, stress is kind of nebulous. Like it's really hard to understand what that means. Like for, for different people, I think it affects us, us all differently, but um, there are some really good markers. And we know that, that sleeping too little induces a whole body um, insulin resistance. So it's a stressed state where your body knows that like it wasn't able to recover. And it seems like that insulin resistance, um, which, which by the way, prevents you from being able to use glucose effectively is um, really affecting in particular people who are, uh, maybe like second shift workers, you know, people who are working strange schedules. And so they are perennially living in this state of, of odd sleep hours and they are constantly in a state of insulin resistance. And so that's another one where seeing in real time how five hours of sleep affects you versus nine hours of sleep and how your body uh, responds to the same meals differently depending on how much sleep you got 
is super powerful and it allows you to make better choices. Like if you know tonight, I'm not going to be able to sleep a full nine hours or full eight hours. Um, now this, this system can tell you like you should avoid these foods. This is, these are the, your high responding foods. And like today, because you didn't sleep well, uh, you should try and avoid these. So that's the type of, uh, I think result that people are loving is just understanding how all of this stuff meshes together and uh, a little activity goes a long way and just sleep and stress are, are much more powerful than you may have considered. Yeah. Is, is it the same effect with stress where um, there's an increased insulin response or? Yes. <laughs> well, that's another really, um, so that mechanism, like with sleep, um, and, and by the way, we're doing some great work with, with eight sleep and our friends over there on, on trying to quantify this by directly connecting the, the two data streams together to help people uh, really correlate, um, you know, straight through the, the, the ecosystem, the, the quality of their sleep with their metabolic outcomes. So that's exciting. But then with stress, um, yes, sleep, poor sleep induces a stressful state, but there are many other things like just, uh, just a state of mental stress, you know, going into a, into a scary meeting or something like that can acutely increase cortisol and cortisol actually causes your body to uh, enter sort of a fight or flight mode. And uh, what your body does in that situation, when it knows it has to respond to a threat is it cranks up energy. So it basically shuts down. Um, it, it doesn't actually release insulin per se, but it shuts down the, um, the, glucose control mechanisms. So it allows you to flood the bloodstream with, with extra energy to fuel whatever, <laughs> whatever you're about to face. And so you might see this, like if you've done an intense workout while wearing levels, um, your body, like if it's super, if you're going really hard, you're going to see cortisol and adrenaline respond. And then you'll see a blood sugar response. My, my blood sugar without any food to a, like a really aggressive CrossFit workout has exceeded 200 milligrams per deciliter. And that is a stress response. Like that's my body saying like, all right, you're going through something like, let, let's get you out of this. And that is happening though, on a smaller scale all day for people who are, who are constantly stressed out. And uh, it is just like you can bring down heart rate through like mindfulness and just maybe doing some breathing exercises. That's a whole body stress control mechanism, which will also affect your cortisol release and help you to bring uh, control to glucose levels. And um, yeah, so, so I've actually like started to experiment with mindfulness myself and, and meditation so that I can optimize sleep, get better recovery, and also bring my, my whole body stress levels down as well, because um, that is having a real effect for, for many people for glucose control. It's, it's really quite powerful and pretty impressive. Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. And then um, can you talk a little bit about some of the, I guess, weight loss reported by, by some of the users? I know Sam shared with me that um, people wearing it have had some pretty uh, amazing results. And why do you think that is? Is it the, the change in metabolism? Yeah. Uh, uh, so we've, we've partnered with, um, Justin Mayer, Justin Mayers and his team. He, so he started Perfect Keto and uh, Kettle and Fire, and he's very interested in this, um, in optimizing nutrition sources and just general wellness. So, uh, we've now got, got a challenge going on called the wearable challenge and we do cohorts of this. So if anyone's interested, you know, go to the wearablechallenge.com and check this out. But the way it works is it's a weight loss challenge where you wear a continuous glucose monitor from levels. And the goal is you stay within range. So as we described, we have that optimal range, uh, eat, however, you know, your dietary philosophy is right. We don't tell you specifically what to eat. We, we provide some keto information for people that want to go that route. But the point is just to keep your blood sugar controlled, go from this like complete unawareness and, and sort of spiky blood sugar oscillations thing down to just low and controlled and staying in range. And what that's doing is it's, it's by bringing your glucose load down, it's bringing your insulin load down. 
And insulin is the hormone that stores, right? It is, uh, so when you have high blood sugar, insulin tells your body to store as much of it as glycogen as possible. And then once your glycogen stores are full, which it can only hold about 400 grams of glycogen, the average person, once those are full, start, start storing that as fat. And so for many people who are constantly eating in a way that has high glucose uh, release and then high insulin release, they're constantly storing uh, that glucose as fat. So uh, that, that's the concept of the challenge is just keep your, your blood sugar levels controlled. And in the first cohort we ever ran, which is 28 days long, uh, again, we, we, gave, <laughs> we gave no dietary requirements to so just stay in range. Uh, people lost on average 9.8 pounds. And uh, you know, this is, this is a, it's a data-driven approach to personal weight loss. It's, um, it is just strictly using your own body's information to tell you, okay, and for certain people, they had to be stricter than certain others, right? And uh, this is the personalization that CGM has unlocked. Uh, which I'll get to in just a second, but but yeah, the the weight loss benefits of just simply managing your glucose levels, which is by default a an insulin control measurement um, or measure, is uh, producing some amazing weight loss results. And this is going to be an area of intense focus for us. Is that uh, you know we really want to provide people with maximum freedom, right? You d you don't want um, you know this is the calories model of of weight loss versus what we're what we're working on, which is the hormonal. Uh, theory of weight loss, which says that um, certain, again, we're a chemistry set. And so if chemicals are out of whack, you're going to, to use energy in different ways. Whereas calories is just like, you know, reduce your calories and you'll burn X amount of fat. That doesn't always work for people. And we're starting to show why that is the case. Um, you know, because you have more insulin in your body than someone else, because you're more sensitive to certain carbohydrates. So tons of promising stuff. And we'll be, we'll be doing quite a bit more in the weight loss space. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that that's the only instruction you gave them was try to keep it within that range because when you're using it, it almost feels like a bit of a game to that you're mm -hmm. just playing individually with yourself to try to stay with that within that range. And um, one of the things that uh, I know you guys have talked about in blog posts on your website where there's a lot of great information is going for a walk after meals yeah. or, or doing some form of exercise and how you can have the same meal um, but if you exercise one time and not after the other you have two different responses right uh, can, can you yeah. talk a little bit about that because that, totally. is that was really interesting to me yeah that's one of the best lessons i i should have brought this up a little earlier as, as one of the, the biggest lessons learned for me um, the power of a little bit of exercise just a little bit of mobility uh, after a meal to control your metabolic response is incredible. So uh, one of the things that we, we are integrating into the next um, iterations of the app are uh, these little nudges to just be a little bit more active. And there are some studies that have shown that actually if you, give, if you have someone um, take, I think, um, either two long walks in a day or several two-minute walks in a day, I think like something like 10 two-minute walks in a day, the person who takes those 10 two-minute walks has a much better metabolic response and, and glucose control than the person who takes the two long walks. Really? And so, um, yeah, and, and we can see uh, the, the benefits for glucose disposal. So when you eat a meal, it doesn't even have to be a, a very rich meal. If, if I would just give one uh, recommendation to anyone listening is just go for walks after, after meals. Just start incorporating that and you will immediately start to see metabolic uh, fitness benefits. And so uh, we see this where you know, if you take with the levels program, let's say you eat a personal pizza and sit on the couch and you'll get a score for that. Right. And it'll tell you like, this is how your body responded to that meal. And here's your score. Let's say it's a three out of 10. Um, and I'm, I'm using numbers. I, I, I don't 
<laughs> this is not actually pizza. I'm, I'm comparing to, uh, to more of a Mexican style food that I eat. Um, but I've had essentially this exact experience. So get a three out of, out of 10 and then eat the exact same meal and go for a 20 minute walk afterwards. Casual. You don't have to break a sweat, just cruise around the neighborhood. Um, I have been able to score, go from a three to an eight on a scale of 10 in my blood sugar response from ch just simply going for a stroll which I would like to do anyway. It's just that you, we typically don't think, well, that's not going to do anything. I just ate, you know, a thousand calories. How, what's that going to do? What it's doing is it's allowing your body to modulate the blood sugar response. So as that food is breaking down in your body and releasing into the bloodstream, you either have to manage that with hormones, release a, a, a you know, a, a wave of insulin to get rid of it quickly. So it stays within range or your muscles are in real time using energy from that same supply. And so that's helping you have to use less uh, sort of a hormonal response to, to control that blood sugar, if that makes sense. And so, um, yeah, that's the mechanism. You're just using the energy source and supporting your body as you're metabolizing, metabolizing and digesting. And um, it's, uh, the, the, the benefits are incredible. So uh, we have Dom Diagostino. He's a University of South Florida ketogenic researcher and neuroscientist. He's currently using the program and sharing a lot of the same stuff. Um, and so, you know, I think he was, he, even he was kind of shocked at how powerful the, the walk response was in, in controlling blood sugar after a meal. Yeah, I think that's probably the one of the most easy to implement practical totally. steps that everyone can use, even if they don't, uh, you know, end up wearing a glucose monitor to to help them yeah. overall. The another interesting thing I found on on the website, uh, and I think it was on in the onboarding process, was um, the study of the banana and the cookie and how yeah, but... <laughs> uh, the different how the same food affects two people completely differently um yeah that's fascinating to me absolutely so this is the uh the area of um, personal glycemic response or glucotypes which um so there was a landmark study in 2015 which was done by the weizmann institute in israel which is the one you're you're discussing um so what this study showed it well they put 800 people through the program and they all were continuous glucose monitors and and these were all non-diabetic people and so this is one of the, the first studies that, that looked at non-diabetic blood sugar responses with a continuous glucose monitor. And they discovered that, like you said, two people who eat the exact same two foods can have equal and opposite blood sugar responses. So it's not, it's not so much that they just have a different scale of response. It's that one person spikes, uh, in this example, spiked on a, on a banana and remained flat on a, a cookie made with wheat. And then the other person spiked on the cookie and remained flat on the banana. And so this implies not, not that someone should just eat cookies all day. It's that that person, you know, unfortunately, but it's that that person is likely more sensitive to fruit sugar versus grain sugar. And what, what we're realizing is that this personal variability is really, really powerful. And it, it's, um, it's quite widespread. Uh, additional studies have shown um, out of the UK, uh, King's College, and then also in Stanford have shown that um, different people who have normal blood sugar responses to certain things can have diabetic blood sugar responses to other foods. Uh, people who have, uh, in, the, in the King's College trial, they showed that even identical twins who share 100% of their DNA can have equal and opposite responses to foods. And so it's, it's, some, it's partially genetic. It probably has something to do with body composition, stress environment, uh, potentially even microbiome. And so there's, there's all of this complexity. And again, this is why we're, we're calling the human body a chemistry set because it truly is so complex. And it's, if you're going to make decisions, they, they need to be guided by your data in real time. Otherwise you have no idea. Are you the banana person or the cookie person? You know, is that thing that you're doing each day, which you assume to be healthy, actually working against you and helping you and causing you to gain weight and feel, and feel terrible and, and exposing you to higher risk. And, um, and so 
that personalization element is ultimately why Levels is, uh, I think, the best solution to the problem of metabolic dysfunction is that you can you can find out in real time and then tailor your decision making process to to these um, personalizations, right? Yeah, no, that, that's unbelievable stuff, really. And what I mean, Levels is a, a really fast growing company. I, I love how quick quickly you guys implement new things in, into the app and um, you know, the weekly and monthly reports. Um, what, what does the future for Levels look like? Well, we're the metabolic fitness company, so uh, we won't stop until we have reversed the, the metabolic health trends in this country and, uh, and globally. And so uh, the way that we're gonna do that is by increasing the accessibility and the actionability of uh, real-time metabolic information. Glucose is the, is the first molecule we're working with. And so we're really cracking the nut on uh, what, again, this is an unstudied area. It's not understudied, it's unstudied. We do, do not know what optimal looks like in real time or in, in real terms. And uh, you know, we're, we are developing the data set that is going to define the future of metabolic optimization and what it means to be truly metabolically fit. So uh, we'll incorporate more analytes. We'll go from glucose, uh, likely incorporate things like ketones and free fatty acids. And then ultimately, um, I'm, I'm very optimistic about adding hormones. Uh, hopefully insulin is going to be, there'll be some breakthroughs in the technology there. But um, yeah, what, what we're doing is bringing together all of this information that defines how metabolically healthy you are as an individual and putting it in the context of your decisions each day. So that again, when you sit down for lunch, you know, without needing that PhD, what you're going to eat and why. And, uh, and you know, it's the, the long-term vision is not that this be um, something that is, um, I think, very onerous. I, maybe some people kind of look at this and think, oh, that's a, that's a big undertaking. I, I don't want to track my calories or my nutrients or any of that stuff. And uh, I think you'll, you'll know as a user of Levels that that's not how it feels to, to use the program. It's very lightweight, low uh, overhead. And you know, the vision I see for it is we, we start to treat uh, metabolic health information or personal health data more like financial data. Right, so I can pull my phone out and I can look at my, my account balances and I can look at my you know, deposits and withdrawals and I can talk to a financial expert and they can help me sort of project out into my retirement. But uh, I don't know, I don't have the same data telling me, am I gonna be around to enjoy that retirement? And so in the future, your phone should be, you know, maybe not the phone, but the point is that you should have all the data that defines how healthy and how metabolically fit you are and how that projects into, into long-term risk outcomes and, and how you can make better choices. You know, right now we're kind of living in this world where uh, because of the accessibility issue for your own personal data, you kind of have a, a bank account balance, but you're not allowed to check it. And you're being told don't, don't withdraw or like don't overdraw, right? Like don't, don't overdraw the, the balance, but you're not allowed to look at it. And so what we're doing is closing that loop, making sure that uh, behavior change is easy, obvious and actionable. And, uh, and we'll continue to, to do so until until someone tells us stop, everybody's too healthy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think uh, people will tell you to stop. There's always uh, ways you can keep improving, right? Um, yeah. Just quickly, what what are some of the things you've learned from your previous experiences at um, SpaceX and and Hyperloop that you've uh, leaned on? Um, you know, this time around with Levels. Well, the biggest thing is team quality of the team. So. Uh, that that's the the best part about my experience at SpaceX was just the the quality of the people I worked with and the you know the mission and, and vision is exceptional and it's great to be a part of but ultimately it came down to who was who was executing on it and that is the, the strength of levels is that we have a, just a totally world class team and um, you know I'm I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to, to work with these folks and we're we're the pace of progress is representative of how how good the team is and um, so. You know, that was my, I think the, the lessons learned at my prior endeavors were, were just, you know, 
bring together people who, who share values and principles and, um, and just set them free on the problem and, and great things are going to happen. And that's what we're seeing here. And then, uh, yeah, also SpaceX was formative for me in the sense that uh, it's where I was first exposed to this, this science that uh, human performance is influenced. Well, hu human wellness is influenced by not just this, um, this sort of fitness first uh, approach, but also diet is like is 90% is of the problem. And I, I learned that through my exposure on life support program to the work of Don Diagostino and, um, and his work on ketogenic uh, sort of studies. And so I think that that's, you know, bringing metabolic health into the mainstream is uh, it started way back at, at SpaceX and working on that astronaut life support program. And um, yeah, it's, it's uh, been an amazing passion project that personally affects me. You know, I, I discovered that I had this problem myself uh, through this whole uh, crazy <laughs> sort of web of discovery that, that took multiple years. And um, so I'm, I'm very grateful for having had that experience at SpaceX to, to kind of kick this whole next uh, phase of my life off and um, just can't be more excited about the future for, for levels. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And then uh, it's it's a 28-day program, right? And, and each mm -hmm. sensor lasts 14 days. Um, are you seeing people wanting to continue on after that 28 days? Or how yeah, so absolutely. Right now we structure it, like you said, it's a 28-day program um, where you, you learn quite a, quite a bit in, in just those 28 days. The first week, you kind of set the baseline, see how your body's responding to your, to your existing choices. And then in weeks two and three, we recommend people really start to explore. So start to change up your behaviors, maybe try some things you don't typically do. Um, experiment again with those sleep, stress, diet, and exercise levers. And then uh, in week four, we recommend people try and really just push for optimization, bring it all together and, and try and maintain that low and controlled uh, 100% time in range, maximize your scores, really nail the, score, the scorecard, and then we give you reports throughout. Now, um, the, the value of that, of that sort of learning ex experience is amazing. But for me, as someone who's been wearing a CGM now for about two years, about 80% of the value for me day to day now is accountability. So um, I have goals. I, I am a person who you know, really in, enjoys eating. <laughs> you know, I can, I can definitely, um, I can definitely go off the rails sometimes in terms of what I'm trying to accomplish for myself. And so the accountability of having that data in real time just keeps me honest. It's, you cannot cheat this data stream. You can't, you know, with a, with a macro tracking app, you just don't enter the meal. Right. And then you, you cheat the score and you, you did great today, but with your glucose data, <laughs> that score is not going anywhere that, you know, it's going to sense the glucose load and it's going to tell you about it. So um, I think that's the, the beauty of it is uh, you know, the lessons continue to be learned. I I'm, I'm learning something, honestly, daily still with, with this. Um, I don't know how, uh, I don't know if I'll ever get tired of it as a data source, but then also again, that accountability, it's like the angel on your shoulder, helping you to, to stay accountable to your goals. So uh, certainly in the long term, we will be, and we already are um, introducing subscription options for people to continue using the program long-term. And uh, you know, the, the long-term vision of the, of the company is that uh, people are using this information daily, you know, throughout their lives. It's not necessary that this is just something you opt into uh, for a short period of time. So that's the direction we're heading for sure. No, that's really exciting. And, and where can people learn more? So, um, you know, given that we don't talk about metabolic fitness much, and again, it's the, it's the foundation because it is metabolism is the set of processes that give you energy. You need energy uh, for your brain to work, you need energy for your body to work. So physical fitness and mental fitness are built on metabolic fitness. And the way that we, you know, we're, we're bringing this to the mainstream is by 
uh, publishing a ton of content around this to help people understand exactly what we mean by these terms. So definitely uh, start at levelshealth.com forward slash blog and just dig in there. Um, if there's something you're missing, we're not connecting the dots well, please drop us a line uh, at help at levelshealth.com. And then, uh, yeah, you can sign up for the wait list at levelshealth.com on the homepage. Um, we currently are in beta, which means that uh, we are, we're kind of uh, limited in the, in the amount of space that we have at the moment, but we'll be rolling out pre-orders um, in the next few weeks and then the, the full launch will follow shortly thereafter. So uh, please sign up for the, for the waitlist and we'll be distributing more information about how you can get, get signed up uh, through that uh, mechanism. And then shout us out on social media. We're at Unlock Levels on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, yeah, you'll see the founders floating around out there too. Um, we'd love to engage and, and talk about metabolic health. So hit us up. Yeah, no, that's how I found out about Levels is uh, on, on Twitter by a tweet from... Uh, Love it. <laughs> uh, from I didn't know that, actually. Matteo uh, from 8sleep. Uh, there you go. But no, that, that's awesome. Thanks very much for, for coming on the Delhi podcast, Josh. I uh, really enjoyed it. 100%. Thanks for having me on. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode as I'm always looking for ways to improve and make the show even better. You can leave a review at The Deli Podcast in iTunes or within Apple's podcast app. Really appreciate your feedback. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to my podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever else you tune in to listen. Talk to you next week.